Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 42 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about brittle diabetes, the definition, history, why people still use it to describe uncontrolled diabetics, and some tips on managing it. A quick reminder for everyone, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I have the win of the week this week, and my win is actually from last week when I decided to use extended bolus on my pump for the first time with Control IQ and see how that worked with my food. I was noticing my blood sugar spike after eating, even though there wasn't that many carbs. So I did some experimenting with the timing on the extended bolus, and I managed to keep my blood sugar pretty stable instead of spiking after eating. And this is an improvement over extended bolus before control IQ because it wouldn't let me actually finish the extended bolus unless my pump was outside of where I keep it in my bra. It was really weird. So I'm just glad that that worked. Jesse, you have the fail this week. I do, but first I wanted to ask you about your win. So what is extended bolus? So extended bolus on the tandem pumps is basically dual wave on the Medtronics. So it will give part of your bolus up front and then it'll mm-hmm. extend the rest over an, a period of time. The maximum is two hours. So it's basically giving you a temp basal for those two hours afterwards. And I don't like calling it a temp basal, even though that's what Tim, my husband, thinks of it as because it can go past the max temp basal if it's a bolus. So it's mm-hmm. an extended extended bolus. You're just extending the insulin. Okay. So it's just the same amount of insulin over a longer period of time. Yeah. So if I gave, say, a four unit extended bolus and half of it was up front, it would Mm -hmm. give two units over two hours. Oh, so you can pick and choose how much is given over those two hours. Yeah. You can do a percentage. The default percentage is 50-50. It depends on what I'm eating. But for the food that I was eating last week, I was giving, I want to say maybe 40%, 60%, just so I didn't overload myself right up front and then let the, the rest of it take care of the high that would come later. Well, very interesting. Sorry, I've never heard of, heard of it before. So I knew about dual wave. I just didn't know what it's it was. It's just a for. different name. Yeah, that's pretty interesting though. I really like that. Anyways, I have a fail this week, unfortunately. And so my fail is that I was trying to be healthy and then ended up not being so healthy in the end. So I went running to kind of get myself out of quarantine and get some exercise and feel good about myself. Now my blood sugar was around 130, so I suspended my pump. And I went running, I felt really good. I came back, I tested, and my blood sugar was 150, which was awesome because it was up just a smidge more than before I went running. And then I didn't realize this, but I forgot to unsuspend my pump. Now, I went to bed, I had a carb-free dinner, I just kind of fedged out for the rest of the night, and then around 2.30 in the morning, I felt really awful, like, 
my stomach was not doing great. I had a headache. I had to use a, go and use the restroom. So I decided to test my blood sugar just out of curiosity to see what it was. It was about 342 when I tested it and I just felt awful. I felt so bad. It was so gross. So I looked down at my pump and I see the little red line suspended. Please unsuspend. And so I unsuspended my pump, put my insulin in for it, and then I went back to bed. And when I woke up a couple hours later, I was around 2.40, so I knew I was fine, but I still still felt really kind of gross for the rest so of the day. Why didn't you have your sensor on? It was charging. Oh, okay. Right. So that was the day where I got off of work and I took it off and I put on the charger and then I went back on to using my just test kit and my pump. The pump does buzz when it's on suspend, like right, every that's couple what, of minutes. Right. That was my question. It was like for the tandem pump, if I put it on suspend, it won't just vibrate every five minutes. It will like make noise. So you can't ignore it. So does yours just vibrate or does it also make noise? I have the option for it to make noise, but since that's never happened to me before, like where I've done this, I didn't really think it was necessary. I really still don't want to do that because I'll suspend it when I'm in the shower or when I go swimming or when I go running and it's not, everybody freaks out kind of around you when you go running and you have like this vibrating, making noise little machine with you and everybody kind of looks at you weird, which I know shouldn't bother me, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, well, I know it's suspended and I know what I'm doing, so I'm not really worried about, you know, remembering it, but that day was just a off day, I guess. Yeah, there's no option on the tandem pump to turn off the make noise part. So it's just interesting that Medtronic lets you turn off the make noise part for the suspend. When on tandem, it's like in your face every five minutes because, oh my God, you're on suspend. Right. Well, it'll suspend and everything. and you It won't give the option to turn everything off, but it'll give you the option to set it which vibrating setting and which like noise setting if you want to do noises instead. Yeah. So all the rest of my settings on my pump are, they're all vibrate, but I cannot change the alarm for suspend. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's, it'll, it'll make noise no matter what, which is why before, so on control IQ, you can't do temp basal. Right. Which is what I would do for turning it off in the morning. So it wouldn't make the suspending noises under my pillow. So it wouldn't wake my husband up. So with the control IQ, since you can't do temp basal, I have to do suspend. And so now I have to deal with all the noises and stuff. So yeah. that's not, not a not a favorite part about control like you, but it's, you know. Have you thought about just like not suspending it for showers? I have, but I also don't want to lose any insulin. That makes sense. Okay. I can see that. Yep. So the hack this week actually comes from a story my sister sent me a few weeks ago. She saw a post on Facebook from someone whose sensor was showing perfect blood sugars, but her symptoms and how she felt were just not jiving with the number on the screen. She didn't want to go to the ER because of COVID, but eventually her boyfriend forced her to go to the ER and she was in DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, with her blood sugar over 600. Her sensor was wrong the whole time. And this story made me question why she wasn't checking her sensor against her meter. She was using the sensor as the single source of truth. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we don't always trust what the sensor says. If your physical symptoms do not make sense for what your sensor says, check your meter. I will frequently double check my meter if I don't believe the sensor reading. And I think she turned out all right. She's fine now. I don't actually know her. It was just a a story my sister sent me. 
that always concerns me when people don't check their blood sugar on a testing kit. Yeah, especially when you don't feel good. It's like, I'm always suspicious of my sensor if I'm not feeling good and my number's fine on my sensor. Yeah, no, even if it's just like a, like a runny nose or like a settled cough or something, I'm just like, mm, we're going to test. I also wonder what kind of sensor she was using because as far as we know, the FDA has only approved the Dexcom sensors to make treatment decisions from those numbers. Every other sensor tells you that you have to check your blood sugar on a meter before you make treatment decisions. So let's dive into the episode about brittle diabetes. And first, we're kind of going to just share what our initial impressions or ideas of what brittle diabetes is before we research this. So I always thought about brittle diabetes as kind of a convenient way to talk about diabetics who just didn't control their blood sugars or didn't want to. So not necessarily burnout, but more like, I just don't care, which is, could be a form of burnout. But for me, brittle diabetes was just kind of a unkind way of telling people that they're fragile with their diabetes. And I didn't really know what it actually was. Yeah, I'm along the same lines where I always thought braille diabetes before doing this research just meant that someone had problems with diabetic management and that they didn't exactly have a good source of responsibility when it came to managing and understanding their diabetes and what it means to be a diabetic. So brittle diabetes is actually a term used by doctors to describe hard-to-control diabetes, and it's also called labile diabetes, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It could be labile, labile. It's L-A-B-I-L-E. Supposedly, it's no longer commonly used, and instead, clinicians focus on the individual problem, which is maybe recurrent diabetic ketoacidosis or severe hypoglycemia. And I still see plenty of diabetics and doctors calling it brittle diabetes. So I don't imagine that anyone is actually fooling themselves if they think it's not commonly used anymore. It is, however, becoming more rare to be considered a brittle diabetic because of the advancements in treatment methods. Type 1 diabetics who could be defined as brittle have really wild swings in blood sugar that are unpredictable, sharp, and seemingly without cause. They frequently experience very high highs and very low lows. They're also more at risk of developing diabetic ketoacidosis and hypoglycemia. It's also probable that brittle diabetics have hypo-unawareness, which means they can't feel their lows, and so they're less likely to catch them before they go down too far. According to a study published in 1992, which seems like eons ago, brittle diabetics are predominantly female. The study also reported that there was no difference in diabetic complication rates between brittle and non-brittle diabetics, but psychosocial disturbances... 74% versus 17%, and factitious or fake instability, 40% versus 2%, were highly significantly more common among brittle patients. Now, anecdotally, I know of many brittle diabetics who hate this term because of the connotation of fragility. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to be called a brittle diabetic either. But I also have seen plenty of posts in Facebook groups for diabetics where the person posting calls themselves a brittle diabetic. So it, it's your mileage may vary. So for causes, diabetes.co.uk reports that psychological issues and inconsistent digestion as a result of nerve damage account for most cases. Brittle diabetes is often associated with stress, depression, and other psychological issues. Gastroparesis or delayed stomach emptying can also be a factor. And then from beyond type 1, they say that some of the causes of brittle diabetes is stress, extensive stress to be specific. 
as we have all noticed, being diabetic type 1 or type 2 definitely causes a swing of blood sugar control when you're stressed or have anxiety. From either anxiety that causes stress, it can make your blood sugars go extreme both ways, up or down, but it can be really dangerous for brittle diabetics because they have no way of understanding what's happening because they're hypo-unawareness. And then another cause they say is hormonal imbalances. And from what I read, hormonal imbalances, specifically hyperthyroidism, it can really mess with your moods and the way that you react to certain things in life. My mom has thyroid difficulties, and I, I honestly can't remember if it's hypo or hyper, but she does have a lot of thyroid problems, which she counters with medicine that she and her doctor use. To go even further with this, it can really mess with your hormones in general. So like, since insulin is a hormone, being hyperthyroidic means that insulin is going to process differently when you have extra hormonal problems because insulin is a hormone in your body that's being introduced through your pump or through an injection. So it's even harder to control your blood sugars with added thyroid and hormonal problems. Another cause that Beyond Type 1 says for brittle diabetes is insulin resistance. Now, we have talked about this before on our show, but I felt like it was a good idea to mention it again. Insulin resistance is when your body can't or won't absorb the insulin from your pump or from a shot. Now, this is caused by many different things like eating too many carbs or being overweight. But with being insulin resistant, it can also cause brittle diabetes because you're not getting the insulin you need. So without the insulin absorption in your body, it can cause hyperglycemia, which is when your blood sugar goes extremely high, which can lead to DKA or go into coma, which is bad. We don't want to do that. So the last one that I decided to mention and the most common one that I've seen that people do, especially during these weird times of ours, is drug and alcohol use. So we have recently talked about alcohol in one of our latest episodes and I asked Colleen a bunch of different questions about how alcohol affects her blood sugar and how it affects her diabetes. Although we didn't talk about drugs, and neither does beyond type 1, it does make sense that drugs and blood sugars don't mix well together. Now, on a previous episode, we mentioned that alcohol does have an effect on one's blood sugars, but that effect is going to be different for every person. So, like, my mom has a friend who drinks wine and her blood sugar will shoot up 15 points. Colleen... From what I remember, you said that it doesn't exactly affect your blood sugar in any extreme way. Well, if I have alcohol in an empty stomach, my number will go down. Right. And um, if I have it paired with food or specifically food that has carbs in it, which I don't do very often, but if that happens, then my blood sugar will go up. It's great. (laughs) Right. So it does affect your blood sugars just in different ways. So that's going to be the same thing, uh, assumably, with drug use as well. So... Because of brittle diabetes, it makes it so much harder to control and understand blood sugars and being diabetic. Drug and alcohol use doesn't exactly help your problems. Now, Beyond Type 1 does mention other causes of brittle diabetes, but these are just some of the most common and most prominent that I thought we could discuss. So the modern use of the term. Brittle diabetic, when I first heard of it, I thought it was a description of someone who had trouble managing their diabetes and who didn't really know what diabetes management was. But and actually, it's a lot more than that. For brittle diabetics, diabetes management is hard, and it's harder than most people would assume. 
the body of a braille diabetic cannot process insulin like a normal normal person or a normal diabetic. Their bodies overprocess insulin at random times, meaning if I ate a plate of Panda Express noodles and took insulin for it, I would have my blood sugars back under control in about an hour, maybe two, if they're really taking in the carbs. But for a brittle diabetic, had the same meal and took the same amount of insulin and the same carb intake, they could fall into a coma due to the overprocessing of insulin in their bodies, which is extremely low blood sugars, but they could also fall into a coma due to the extremely high blood sugars due to the insulin resistance that they have in their bodies. So that sounds kind of like gastroparesis, which is the delayed stomach emptying, where they take the insulin, but it hits before the carbs do. Yeah. Yeah, that's also kind of like when we eat pizza. Right. So that's what I, was, that's what I kind of noticed when I did research for this was like, being a brittle diabetic means that you're eating pizza no matter what you do. If you eat an apple, you have the same effect as pizza. That is a really good analogy. Thank you. So for those of you who haven't listened to our show before, when we talk about pizza or pastas or any type of floury and egg noodle. Basically anything that is high carb and high fat. That's, yes. that's why pizza is the most common representative because it's really high carb in the dough and then really high fat with all the cheese and the meat and all the delicious stuff on the top that I <laughs> eat by itself. <laughs> right? So basically we've mentioned this before where pizza has an awful effect on diabetics, especially type ones, because our insulin will absorb faster than our food will. And this is the same with, you said, what was the word? Gastroparesis is delayed. Gastro- it's all called delayed stomach emptying. Okay. And I don't know all the details about it, but uh, Dr. Richard Bernstein talks about it in his book, which is called The Diabetes Solution. Which we've also mentioned early on the show too. We have, and we will link to it again in the show notes. So for being a braille diabetic, it takes a lot more energy and a lot more paying attention and close regulation of their diabetes. And from what research we did on this episode, we found that brittle diabetes only affects three out of every 1,000 patients who take synthetic or controlled insulin for their blood sugars. But if you feel that you're experiencing symptoms of brittle diabetes, please contact a doctor or endocrinologist as soon as possible because it can lead to further complications down the road. So now we're going to talk about some tips for managing it. And the first one is probably not surprisingly, switch to a low-carb diet. (laughs) We're going to recommend that for a lot of the problems that diabetics have with blood sugar swings. So if we talked about eating low carb in episode nine, another tip is to take advantage of continuous glucose monitors or flash glucose systems like the Libre. So I didn't know this until recently, but there is actually a difference between the CGMs and the flash glucose systems. The CGMs will constantly read your blood sugar to a receiver, which is what Jess and I have. And the flash glucose systems like the Libre will only read when you scan it. So if you have a Libre, what you do is you take the receiver and you like pass it over the sensor on your arm or wherever you have it. And then that's when it reads blood sugar. So you have the potential to always read your blood sugar, but you have to scan it first. You can't just look at a receiver. So the good thing about continuous glucose monitors and those flash glucose systems is that you can always see your blood sugar when you want to. And that would be really beneficial for brittle diabetics because when you go from really high to really low in a very fast period of time, the ability to see that trend downwards is so valuable. Even if it takes a minute for the sensor to catch the the crash, you still have that awareness that it's happening. 
I know a lot of times parents of young diabetics will say that their kid's blood sugar drops too fast for the sensor to catch it. And that's kind of true because the sensors are reading five to 15 minutes in the past. But when you have that awareness of that it's actually happening, even if you can't catch it in the moment, it's so valuable because if you didn't have that system, you wouldn't know it until you're maybe unconscious. I would recommend putting on a CGM or a flash glucose system, even if you're not a brittle diabetic, just because they make your life so much easier. Like, honestly, it improves your quality of life if you have a CGM or a sensor that you can depend on, even if you don't have like a meter or something with you. Another way to help manage brittle diabetes is getting an insulin pump. Surprise, surprise. When you have an insulin pump, whether it's tubed or not, you have immediate control over the insulin that's going into your body. When you do multiple daily injections, you have that upfront long-lasting insulin, which stays in your body no matter what all day. And then you have all of the fast-acting insulin that you're using to correct your blood sugars. And with MDI, you can't turn that basal insulin off. With an insulin pump, you can turn that basal insulin off to catch if you're going too low. Another tip is to talk to someone you trust. We've talked before that diabetes can feel very lonesome. And if you have brittle diabetes, you might feel like nobody knows how you're feeling or what you're going through, or you might just want somebody to vent to. And that's really valuable to be able to vent to someone without feeling judged about it. I mean, even if it's just like a diary or something, you should always be venting and talking about how you feel or what makes you feel good and productive in society or even with your diabetes, and setting goals is so important. Like, if you have a goal to get your A1C down, what are some steps that you can start taking to get that A1C down? And then just write them out, because from there, you're progressing yourself, and you're, you're focusing on what you want to improve. And we did an entire episode on setting diabetes goals. That's episode 21. You can go back and listen to that. So kind of similar to talking to someone you trust is getting support from a network, your doctor, your family, a therapist, or a coach. Even just going into Facebook groups to make a post that's venting to people or venting about all of your problems right now, you can get so much support in the comments just for people who have been going through what you're going through, people who have ideas to help you get out of it. And when you talk to your doctor, you can get actionable things you can do talking to your family, you can get support, talking to your therapist, you can get support, talking to a coach, you can get tips and strategies on how to improve your future from steps you can take right now. Another tip is to practice self-care. So sometimes people don't take care of themselves because it feels like they shouldn't or they need to put other people first. But as type 1 diabetics, we really need to remember that we are we have to put ourselves first because if we don't put ourselves and our diabetes first, then that will suffer and then everybody else will suffer. So I can't be present with my family if my blood sugar is all over the map. I have to take care of me first. So really the last tip is very related to the fourth and fifth tips, which is just getting therapy or seeking therapy because I got a lot of value out of therapy. It's, it's very past focused, but it also helps you clean up your thinking about what happened in the past. So therapists can help you devise strategies to deal with things in the present. And that is so valuable for all diabetics, not just brittle diabetics. When you have someone to talk to about the problems you have and how they maybe have stemmed from things in the past, getting therapy was one of the best things I ever did. I just wanted to say that I'm very proud of you for seeking help because I know that's like a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. And I'm 
glad that you had the resources to do so. It makes me really happy and it makes me really proud of you. Thank you. It took a long time to actually reach the point where I was like, I need therapy. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I can do this on my own, but then I realized I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. And that that's like the conclusion that a lot of people just can't bring themselves to get to is like, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. A lot of people will make it mean that there's something wrong with them if they need mm-hmm. therapy. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with you if you need therapy. I think that it's, that's exactly what needs to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. I agree with that. So the spotlight this week is on Cynthia Katzingris, a type 1 diabetic from New York and founder of thisdiabetic.com. She caught and recovered from COVID-19 and wrote a guest post for Diatribe at the end of April. We'll link to the full article in the show notes, but we wanted to take this segment to highlight some of the things she said about her experience with the virus. So I'm going to read this directly from Diatribe, and so it's going to be in the first person, but this is Cynthia talking. I'm sharing my story of coronavirus to suggest to you that maybe diabetes isn't the weakness we've been told it is. Yes, I did get sick from COVID-19, but so did many others without chronic illness. Maybe the burden of dealing with a chronic illness makes us more likely to find ways to fight an infectious disease, and that resilience assists our battle. I found that being a person with diabetes made me feel empowered and more experienced in the face of a health crisis. I was more aware of the intricate workings of my body and had knowledge that a person without diabetes, I assume, would not have. People with diabetes strive for mastery of how food, sleep, stress, illness, and so many other factors affect the body and its blood sugar levels. And I could use that to my advantage. I had sick day plans, but quickly found that, oddly, my blood sugars were not spiking, even with fever. I welcomed not having to chase numbers. I wondered if all the years of diligent diabetes care were helping my blood sugars stay in range in this situation. I continued taking my regular doses of long-lasting and short-acting insulin, even though I had no appetite and wasn't really eating. That dosing was enough to take care of any elevated numbers I might have seen from being sick. People with diabetes take over the job of an organ, and this trains us to pay attention to our bodies more intently, understand cause and effect, and react to changes. Cynthia's experience is a good lesson for everyone, even non-diabetics. We're really glad she recovered and can share her story with Diatribe and the diabetes community. All right, and now for our audience question of the week. This week, we want to know if you are or used to be classified as a brittle diabetic and how you manage it. What is your biggest struggle with uncontrollable diabetes? And what are your thoughts on the word itself, brittle? Tell us in the comments. That's it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com episode 42. That's the number 42. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at www.inspiredforward.com coaching. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me a message or questions or comments about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. Be sure to listen next week when we talk with YouTuber Levi Davenport, whose channel, Between Two Lines, has grown in popularity in just a few short months from its launch. 
Levi's video series on If Blood Sugars Could Talk has been wildly viral on Facebook and other platforms. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.